The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre in Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, much is made of the dialogue between the two, and rightly so. But I have a very simple question for you this morning, which is, which of these three people are you in this story? There are really then these three people. There's the woman, the uh, disciples, and Jesus himself. Three people or three groups of people in the story. And probably we are all shades of some of these people at times in our lives, maybe even on the same day. Sometimes we are helpful and loving. Sometimes we are desperate. Sometimes we are possessive and lacking in compassion. But as we are all called to be disciples of Jesus, let's start there. When you find a good thing, it's not unusual to want to keep it to yourself. Uh, that's how things become a best-kept secret, because people don't want other people to find out about it. Like if you find a fishing hole where all the fish are, right? you don't want anyone else to discover it, because then they'll take all the fish and your fishing hole will be ruined. And that seems to be part of what's going on with the disciples. I'm sure it's more dense than that. They have certainly seen Jesus perform many miracles. They are certainly in awe of him. This is probably towards the end of his ministry, after all. They're surrounded by hordes of people, almost all of whom are takers. They want to be healed, these people. They are poor and desperate. They are bleeding. They have pus coming out of their sores. To even touch them might mean the disciples become ceremonially unclean. And they have to deal with this over and over, day in and day out, these, these stinky, needy, desperate people. Sure, they're amazed at the miracles and teachings of Jesus, but the more public and famous Jesus becomes, the less he is theirs. 
We've come a long way from Jesus calling just a few disciples and they having intimate time and, and moments with him where they, they are seeing him do these amazing things. Now he sort of belongs to everyone. And so maybe they feel like they are now losing this relationship with Christ, his attention, his friendship. Well, have you ever had a friend or a band or a restaurant uh, or a church that maybe you didn't want to share? with other people? Did you ever want to keep it a best-kept secret? Because if other people find out about it, maybe it will lose some of its value. One of the reasons, for example, Christians often argue for communion to be held rarely, maybe once a month or maybe four times a year or something to that effect, is that they will say, well, the more often you have it, the less special it is. And it is true that rarity of something in some ways makes it more special. For example, we only have one Christmas Eve service, and I think we all enjoy our Christmas Eve services. We know it's rare. It's only going to happen once a year. You better appreciate it now. Of course, the whole season is wonderful and magical and all of that, so that definitely doesn't hurt. But there is this thought that if you restrict something, uh, then, then that can you know, make it more valuable. Well, as Mae West said, too much of a good thing can be wonderful. So the disciples may have been jealous of, uh, of Jesus making all these new friends. They thought it lessened Uh, their relationship with him, but that's actually not the case at all. Jesus is able to have lots of friends, and in the meantime, the world is benefiting from his ministry. Do churches sometimes stay small because their members want it to stay small? Do churches sometimes stay small because they look at visitors with a glance, a knowing glance, like, You'll never take altar guild away from me. Uh, or I will never allow you to help on the property committee. Actually, that does happen, sadly, all the time. I hear those stories. I don't think it happens here, though. Uh, so visitors, we love to have you. We'd love you to get more involved. we got plenty of room on the altar guild and property committee and so on and so forth. But maybe we don't want to invite some of our neighbors to church because... Maybe they're a little, I don't know, dysfunctional. I mean that in the nicest way possible. But here's a pro tip. Okay, Even uh, dysfunctional people need Jesus too. But there are some people, I don't know, maybe drama follows them everywhere they go, and we think to ourselves, oh, heavens, if I invite that person to church, what if they say yes? And then they'll bring all of that drama with them. You know, now I have to deal with it at church too. That's why churches actually need to be healthy, by the way. They need to make that a priority so we can absorb uh, all manner of people who might come into our doors and we can healthily deal with them. But the thought is better to keep Jesus and our church to ourselves rather than have to deal with all the commotion. Maybe these are some of the things going through the minds of these disciples. The disciples, they're just not interested in dealing with this woman, right? She probably trailed them as they were walking because previously in the chapter there was a big crowd and now there's not a crowd anymore. You kind of, they're kind of alone, you know, Jesus and the disciples, but it's like 
She just won't go away. So the disciples actually asked Jesus, tell her to go away, because we've tried, it didn't work. And that's when Jesus, of course, says, um, well, I came from the lost sheep of Israel first, but she, she doesn't even take that hint, because she's not of Israel. She's Syrophoenician, right? She's a, uh, she's a, a Gentile. But the disciples certainly wanted her to go away. She's not from around here, was kind of the idea, right? They're exhausted, she's needy and whining, and they're tired of sharing Jesus with everyone else. And maybe to put the best construction on it, they're acting in Jesus' interest too. You know, after all, he did tire. He did need time to rest and to pray. So um, maybe they had his interest in mind. But let us never keep Jesus to ourselves. That's the bottom line. If there are inconvenient people who need Jesus, don't be an obstacle. If you're worried that more people will, in fact, change some of the way we do things, well, too bad. That's true, and it's probably for the best. If you don't want to share Jesus with those who need him, too bad. You don't really have a choice in the matter. Jesus doesn't need a bodyguard. And it is spiritually dangerous if you make the decision to get in the way of that person and Jesus. It's kind of the very thing we're supposed to do, is help people come to Christ. So if we're literally a barrier between them, like the disciples were, we're doing it all wrong. Churches often say that they want to grow, but often when the opportunity comes, they're not willing to do what is required. Now, sometimes we're like this woman. We're at the end of our rope. We find ourselves in bondage to sin. We are in the midst, for example, of a divorce. We've lost our job. Our children are distant. We need Jesus. Now, Jesus is able in this story to heal this woman's daughter of her demon possession in a second. And while my mind is certainly open to the possibility that God, any person of the Trinity, Father, Son, or Spirit, can heal any infirmity in as quick a time, I don't think that is the normal course of events. It's possible, but it's just not the usual. Usually, Jesus doesn't just roll in and make all of our problems go away. We have to plan for the inevitability of future desperation. If we have no interest in or knowledge of Jesus before the first day or before the worst day of our life, it will be quite the ask to go to Jesus and demand a bailout. There are normal, boring even, means of grace available to you by which we are shaped and formed and molded into being more like Jesus. Lives are built, in fact, through these boring daily disciplines, day by day, so that we can prevent some awful things from happening and we can deal with them when we do. I mean, just the basic discipline of not using drugs, uh, would solve a lot of problems. Basic financial discipline will solve a lot of future problems, right? Working hard will solve a lot of future problems. 
Uh, studying the scripture, helping you understand God will solve a lot of future problems. So we can prevent a lot of those moments of desperation or when those moments of desperation come through no fault of our own, well, then we can deal with it. Because in spite of our best laid plans, we might often find ourselves desperate through no fault of our own. What can Jesus do for us then? Well, remember that in the wake of death, we have the promise of resurrection. In the face of meaninglessness, certainly a plague uh, on uh, our country today, we are given this enormous, never-ending, and joyful mission to bring the good news to the world. In the face of our own sins, we might become desperate, right, at our inability to get rid of sin. We are offered forgiveness. And in the face of adversity, Jesus offers us peace. We can be peacemakers. We can have peace with others in our lives. So those are all things that in our moment of desperation, Jesus can do for us right now. Now, can we actually be Jesus in the story? Maybe that was hyperbole. Well, no, in a sense, you know, that we should be imitators of Christ. We can be like Christ. Paul says, be an imitator of me as I have been an imitator of Christ. Uh, yes, the word Christian, in a sense, means a little Christ. Uh, that's Martin Luther's uh, phrasing of it. So, yes, we are to be like Christ, you know, in our ethical pursuits, for example. Now, will we ever be a perfect human being who can die for the sins of the world? I hope you know the answer to that is obviously not. So, we're not like Christ uh, fully in our nature. But, yes, in how we are to live, yes, we are to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, as this particular story spells out, means that we are to be stretched to the limit in terms of our compassion and kindness. Yes, Jesus is also firm. He is a law abider, contrary to the, some modern takes on Jesus. He's some kind of revolutionary lawbreaker. Well, not really. But life doesn't always go according to plan. And uh, including many Christians, we make horrible decisions. Or sometimes people are victims of crime or poor health or circumstance. And so in those moments, we need to be like Christ. We need to go to the very limit of what we can do with our compassion. Now, there is a limit because if we go over that limit, we may end up enabling poor behavior. And that's not compassion. So these, these moments require discretion and discernment. There are limits to compassion. But we are to be like Christ in that way. So, who are you? That was my question, very simple question. I think uh, undoubtedly, hopefully as you've been listening in your mind, you've thought of times where you've perhaps been uh, any one of these people. The law does indeed teach us to be aware uh, of how we should live and act as followers of Christ, as those who are imitating him. But we will fall short. And when we do, when we are in more desperate moments, we are thankful that we remember what the gospel is. That as those who seek Christ in those moments of desperation, we do in fact have a Lord who hears us and heals us and forgives us and saves us. Thanks be to God that we are made worthy to appeal to Christ in our times of desperation then.
And thanks be to God that he hears and answers our prayers. Amen.